Hi, and welcome to Two Sober Chicks. I'm Lisa. I'm Julie. And we thank you for tuning in from wherever you're tuning in today, across Canada, the United States, the United Kingdom, Australia. And if you are new to the podcast, we'd love to hear from you and hear where you're listening today. And also, if you have a topic suggestion for us, um, you can email it to us, the number two soberchicks at gmail.com, or visit us on Facebook by searching Two Sober Chicks. I'm just going to give our little disclaimer here that Lisa and I share feelings and opinions based upon our own experience. We are not affiliated with any organization. If we speak about a program or a person or a philosophy, it's just us sharing our experience, strength, and hope, and we hope you enjoy it. And we're not counselors on that note either. Yes, we are only experts in our own experience trudging this happy road to destiny through recovery. Yay. All right, so we have our little um, jar of topics, and today I pulled out Compulsion Removed. This is one of our friend's uh, greatest topics to discuss, Mm. Um, because for her, uh, she never, ever thought that that desire uh, or compulsion to drink would Mm. ever be removed. And you know what? It kept her from getting sober for a really long time, because she knew she could not live that way, Mm -hmm. because when she didn't drink, she felt absolutely shitty, and she thought, "I, I can't live this way, but... We are living proof to tell you that um, living sober is fun, it is exciting, it is um, full of warmth and friendship. For us, that's Mm -hmm. our experience, so we hope that's your experience too. And uh, we each have our own personal stories to share about um, the compulsion being removed for us and what that means and what it looks like. Julie? So the compulsion can be different for different people. Mine was more of a mental obsession than a physical craving. Even though I craved it, I learned very quickly that it was my mind. And once I mastered control of that through connecting through a higher power through the 12 steps of AA, that's when my compulsion was removed. I remember my compulsion was removed, I think, around five months sober. Um, I know that because at Thanksgiving that year, I think I was four months sober. It was really difficult for me. I had to keep leaving the table. You know, the wine was a flowing at our house over Thanksgiving. And I used to cook a Thanksgiving dinner for, I think, 20 to 25 people. And uh, we were in a crowd of people that loved to drink wine. So I had to keep leaving the table and taking deep breaths and just centering and being okay. Um, But it was shortly after that that it was removed. And thank God, because if recovery was about white knuckling it, which I think a lot of people think it is. Yeah. Um. It's not, I don't know how else to compare it. Maybe somebody that goes on a diet and has to look at a chocolate cake and just wants to eat it. That's not my experience in recovery. I don't white knuckle it. I rarely think about it. Every once in a while, something will give me like a, it's almost like a firecracker goes off, like a full body mm, craving, I would say. And then just as quickly as it came, it leaves. But had my obsession or compulsion not be removed, I could not be in recovery. And it's kind of magical that it happened without any intervention on any part other than spiritual intervention is how I look at it. Because I didn't take a pill and I didn't go to rehab and it's just so miraculous. (laughs) I didn't do anything except to do what I was told to do through the process of the steps in this program. And one day I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, I don't know how long it's been since I want to drink. And that's amazing because if you're going to tell me to stop drinking, but you're going to tell me I'm going to feel like I want to drink all the time and you're not going to replace that feeling that I got with booze with something better. No, thank you. Yeah. Cause that's not called sobriety to me. That's a dry drunk. However you want to call it. Um, you can be sober of body, but not of mind, spirit, soul. I would rather have died 
literally, than live that existence of being sober and being miserable and hating it. And for a long time, alcohol uh, and drugs were my solution to how I learned how to cope with the difficulties and challenges of life. And my life isn't any more difficult than anybody else's. It was just that I really didn't learn those coping skills. And that was my coping skill. Um, so when I first got sober, <clears throat> I was not happy, joyous, and free. And I definitely was white-knuckling it. I can remember back to early sobriety where things would... I would get incensed. Things would send me into a rage. I'd be driving along or walking somewhere, and I'd see a billboard for alcohol, mm. and it would piss me off. I'd walk by the LCBO, and I'd be like, I can't believe I have to walk by here every day. I'm going to have to pick a different route. And um, I just felt like it was in my face and that people were throwing it in my face. And then I also started to notice on some of my favorite TV shows how much people drank. <laughs> And I started to then label everybody an alcoholic and try to play who's an alcoholic in my head, um, which is not appropriate. We don't do that. It's not up to me to decide that anybody else is an alcoholic mm -hmm. or not. But I just remember how um, how obsessive it was for me. I was obsessed because I couldn't drink. I was almost more obsessed with the idea mm. of drinking. And um, I remember trying to be around old friends uh, and go to places where other people were partying the way I used to party. And um, just being miserable. I would, you know, I, I couldn't socialize with people. I didn't want to socialize with people. I was angry and bitter that they could drink and I couldn't. So to me, um, that compulsion um, to be, to not want to drink uh, took a long time to be removed. Um, now, the physical part is easy. If you don't take that first drink, there's no compulsion to have a second, a third, and a 50th oh, good. drink. So um, the physical for me was removed by not having the first drink. Mm. Um, the mental um, really um, took time to for me to get involved in the program and to work through the steps. Uh, I'm in Alcoholics Anonymous, so to work through the 12 steps. And I joke and say, in the when I sit in the one, two, three room, I say it took me eight years to get step one mm. because I didn't want to admit that I was powerless over alcohol or anything else. And I I wasn't okay with this idea of a higher power or God or turning anything over. Yeah. Um, how can I turn my will over to something that I don't understand yeah. or don't necessarily know if I believe in? Mm -hmm. And what does that look like? What, am I just supposed to stay in bed and say, okay, God, let me get, help me get out of bed today. <laughs> can you put my, put my pants on for me? Like, I just had no idea what that looked like. I had the almost exact experience. I'm like, what, I'm just going to be a robot? I'm just going to sit here and wait to download instructions? Very cynical. Mm. Yeah. Um, Contempt prior to investigation is something we like to say in recovery that comes from our big book. Oh, more on that? Do you have more on that? Um, I will find it. I can't remember the person who put it, uh, whose quote it is in our big book, but it talks about that being a major barrier to recovery. Yeah. Um, another good suggestion that I learned uh, in those struggling years uh, was maybe I shouldn't hang out with old people and go to those places that I used to go to. You know, don't hang out at your drug dealer's house. <laughs> don't, don't hang out at the local bar and uh, try to not drink while everyone around you is getting pissed. Um, probably you're not going to walk away with happy feelings. And so I had to learn when to say no. I had to learn to say, no, I can't go to that function or that Christmas party. And I didn't have to tell people why. 
I, you know, well, I'm, I'm busy that day or I can't go. Um, it's like learning little things to say when I don't want to out myself to everybody. Um, I can say, oh, no, I, no, thanks. I, I don't want a glass of wine. Oh, come on. It's just one. Oh, I'm on antibiotics. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't drink right now. I'm on antibiotics. And that usually is enough for people. Um, but yeah, the compulsion to not want to drink. Now I can be around alcohol and it doesn't bother me. Um, I, I watch television shows and I don't count how many drinks the main characters are having or label them alcoholics. That part just doesn't jump out at me anymore. I rarely notice billboards, especially at the holiday season. Season I used to notice there was all this excess promotion of alcohol. And the, you know, the LCBO lights up and gets really glitzy and colorful around the holiday season. So pretty. It's very pretty looking. Very enticing, the LCBO at Christmas. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. You know what else? This is another thing that might be a good topic for another day. I find that they are, is infantis, infantil, what's the word? Infantocentric? They're making it for children. <laughs> They're making booze look almost appealing mm. to me. It's like, wow, that looks very flowery and fruity and almost like they're advertising to people who are underage. Oh, like the candy, cotton candy vodka that I saw in Miami one time. Yeah. And all the, you know, fruity little beverage drinks. And anyway, that's a different, a different topic. But yeah, the compulsion uh, I've noticed is removed. Um, I can go to a bar or a social event um, that I know where there's going to be alcohol. I'm trying to think. I just went, oh, uh, my aunt has a yearly Christmas party. And there's always wine and there's you know, punch that you can put other beverages in. And uh, and that used to be difficult for me. I used to go because I was still obsessed with alcohol. And I don't know how or when it happened. How it happened is that I turned my will over to something greater than myself. And, and it's weird. It's like I'm not obsessed with it anymore and I just don't care that other people are drinking. And I, I usually leave um, if, if the volume starts to go up. A few decibels, mm-hmm. I know it's my cue to leave because mm-hmm. we're not going to be connecting on the same level anymore. Mm-hmm. And I like to connect with people now, mm-hmm. whereas before it was difficult. What you just said there about connecting to a higher power and all of a sudden the obsession is removed, I truly believe that for many of us in recovery, we had a God-sized hole in our lives and we just kept throwing stuff into it, hoping that it would fulfill us. So let's throw sex in there or shopping or booze or drugs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> God size hole, she said it. <laughs> Get your mind out of the gutter, Lisa. <laughs> Throwing things in there. Yeah. Sorry. For those of you who tuned in at 10 minutes and 39 seconds, this might sound a little dirty. Um, Lisa, train of thought? No, I know okay. exactly where I'm going. Go. Um, so once you, now I can't even say it, once you put God in that hole, it's all good. <laughs> I'm sure you guys know what I was insinuating. <laughs> what you really meant before I, you know, dirtied it all up. It just <laughs> sounded funny to me. Ah, oh, well, there. We've reached the 10-minute mark. Good times. <laughs> so, God-sized hole, only fill it up with God. <laughs> Everything will be right in your world. Maybe we should relate this back to the sober sex. Just put God in your hole and everything will be fine. <laughs> We're probably going to get our first hate mail. Oh, my God. All right. This has been two sober chicks. I know it doesn't sound like it, but we are sober, and we're having a good time. We hope you are, too, and we hope you continue to listen. I'm Lisa. I'm Julie. Thank you for listening. We love you. Happy 24.